0: Father, I thank you for this opportunity to share the, uh, the tools, Lord, that you have shown me through the years of being able to overcome uh, history and memory, but also, Lord, to uh, battle the enemy, and not just battle the enemy, Lord, but to find overcoming victory. And I ask, Lord, that you will lead and guide, that you will send your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, a couple of other things that I want to share with you. Uh, a friend of mine, I actually knew this, this girl when she was just a little kid, and she grew up in a very conservative Adventist home. She grew up in the, in the woods. She was homeschooled, and you'd think that she had every security or protection from pornography. However, she had friends that were talking about it, friends that were guys, and at 15, she was just curious, and so she checked out what pornography was, and unfortunately, she became hooked. Uh, after several months, she finally gained the victory as a young girl, still wanting to be pure for her wedding, wanting to have a husband that was a virgin also. Uh, he had also come from a history of some pornography, and uh, eventually they did get married. She saved herself for marriage, and then after she got married, she thought that you know that she deserved not only a husband that was a virgin, but she thought that because of her own purity, that that lined her up for special... Um, I don't know, entitlements, I guess. But unfortunately, what happened is her eyes became open to the realities of what's in the world after she got married. She had some sexual dysfunction in her relationship with her husband. It brought on another bout of pornography for her husband. The shame and the humiliation of what she went through. She's very transparent in her book, but also talks about how they found that victory and how they found it through Jesus Christ. Amazing story. It's got information in it. It's also got um, some facts and and some uh, different resources in it that's really incredible and you can get this online. It's called Arena of War and it's by Jess Ventura a very transparent story and I think for any young person, it really helps to um, it really helps to not only explain what happens in the world today through lust and how pervasive it is even in a conservative family, how this can be an issue in the family as well. So that's a really great resource. We have just made a decision in coming out ministries, that our desire is we would rather put these in your hand than to uh, basically use this as a way to financially support our ministry. So we have decided, as of just two days ago, that uh, we are going to give away the movie for free. And so uh, we have them on uh, a little USB stick here, and I also have them in subtitles in French. And those are available for you also. We just asked for a donation to help support the ministry. It cost 150000 just to make this movie three years ago. So it would it's not that we're looking to recoup that. Um, however, it does take finances to support the ministry. So if you're inclined, we just ask that you would fill out uh, your name and information for our website. And then also uh, just a small donation to cover the production of the film if you're inclined, all right? So we have those available for you as well. I have other subtitles. The, the movie's been translated into 12 different languages. Is that amazing? 12 people came forward and they said, oh, we need it in Dutch, we need it in Czech, we need it in Russian, we need it in Polish. And we're like, okay, you want to translate it? And so we now have it in 12 different languages. Is that amazing? Even yeah. Thailand. So um, I'll be heading to Thailand in December and we'll have that available as well. So again, uh, that's just a little bit of housekeeping. One of the other things that I want to tell you about is uh, my colleague, Ron Woolsey. I'm one of the founding members of Coming Out Ministries. Nine years ago, we started this ministry because we were desperate for resources when we came back into the church. We thought that we were the only ones that would actually dare come out of homosexuality into Seventh-day Adventism. Unfortunately, the church still did not have any resources. Uh, Ron Woolsey, who's a retired pastor, who's one of the founding members, this was his first book, and this is actually a quote from what the pastor told his wife when he told his wife that he was gay. The pastor looked at his wife and said, you should just get a divorce because that kind can never change. So that was the title of his first book. And then this is uh, a compilation. His second book is Straight Answers to the Gay Question. It's actually 20 years of collecting uh, question and answers off of his internet website. And that's been also compiled into a book. Unfortunately, we still have to cover the cost of these. And so these aren't available until after Sabbath. But again, the movie is. One of the most important things that I think is really valuable is we have this series. It's called The Conquer Series. And The Conquer Series is not produced by an Adventist company, but it's completely biblical. And it's got 12 different DVDs. It's got two workbooks, and it also comes with a journal. It's comprehensive. It's a beautiful program to go through. I think it's a great thing to offer as a men's ministry for the church and also um, for overcoming uh, pornography addiction and sexual addiction. It's a very powerful resource, and we have that available as well like to start off with just some statistics about um, sexual purity and sexuality in the church. There was a young woman, two years ago I was in Cuba, and this young woman, she was one of the speakers that was actually preaching to some of the young people. She was involved in a youth group in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, she started to hear our stories about overcoming pornography and sexual addiction. And she came to me privately and said that she was not only acting out sexually with some of the guys in her youth group, but she was also addicted to pornography and had bisexual attraction. And I, and I looked at her and I said, well, you know what the Bible says about sex, don't you? And she said, well, not really, because the church never says anything. That was when my eyes were opened to this issue. The world is screaming about sex, you know, through YouTube and all these videos or whatever. And by the church's silence, we are actually giving our young people over to these ideologies that are being promoted and pushed. I have um, pastors, young pastors that are studying in seminary coming to me talking about how they've been addicted to pornography since they were seven and eight years old. You know, when I was a young person, it was very difficult to get a hold of pornography. Unfortunately now with the handheld devices that we have, it's very easy to access porn and these have been around for so many years now that young people are getting slimed by pornography addiction at a much younger rate. And and we'll talk about that. This is a cartoon. Mom's looking, you know, uh, for the laptop, and, and Billy's in the bedroom with his friends, and, and you can see it says, Bil- uh, "Billy, do you know? Do you and your friends have the laptop?" And and here you see Billy uh, talking through the door and just saying, oh, "Yeah, Mom, we're doing our homework." But on the door you see internet porn, free inside, extreme misogyny, and you know exactly what these kids are using the, pornog- or the computer for. One of the things that I recognize now that the pornography industry knows that the sooner they can expose your young children to pornography, the sooner that they can make them addicts. And not only do they want them to be addicts, they want to get their resources. And so what's really unfortunate is now, unless you have accountability software on your computer and on your devices for your children, if you are not actively supervising what your children are looking at on their tablets and phones and on the computer, unfortunately, your children have already been slime. Even if your child goes to the computer and looks up Barney the, P- the Purple Dinosaur, the pornography industry knows that they have ways of sliming these kids. There was a kid that was, uh, his father was a pastor, mother was a uh, nurse, and they kept the computer in the family room so that they could monitor what their children were watching. This little boy went to church school, and in church school his best friend at seven years old brought a piece of pornography that he printed off the family computer and that hooked him. At seven years old, this little kid would actually set his alarm for three o'clock in the morning so that he could use the family computer in the family room to look at pornography. As he grew up, of course, this, this addiction became stronger and stronger. Eventually, he went to our Adventist education. He went to Southern University. He also went to Andrews University, and he said he never had to pay for sex because there were always plenty of girls willing to have sex with him. He said there would be the girl that would be strumming the guitar during Vespers on a Friday night, but she was sending pictures of herself uh, naked from the waist up to his roommate. This is what's going on in our Adventist education. Out there in the world, it's even worse. There's absolutely no boundaries, but in Christian education, our children are already experiencing the rapid decline in morality. Did you know that every second, $3,000 is being spent on pornography? That's $11 million every hour. Every second, 28,000 people are viewing pornography. That's 102 million people every hour. The average age of first internet exposure to pornography is 11 years old. 15 to 17-year-olds having multiple hardcore exposures, 80%. And 8 to 16-year-olds that are viewed pornography online, 90%. And mostly while doing their homework. Again, supervision is key for your children. As a matter of fact, on all of my devices, my computer, my laptop, and my phone, I have covenant eyes installed. Makes it very difficult to sometimes do research, especially in our ministry. But I recognize how valuable these are, these blocks are, to help keep me from spiraling out of control into looking into areas that I shouldn't be. The pornography industry is larger than the revenues of the top technology companies combined. You take Microsoft, Google, Amazon, eBay, Yahoo, Apple, Netflix, and Earthlink, you put them all together and pornography still makes more than these companies together. According to the General Conference survey that was done three years ago, they reported that 49% of our Adventist young people think that gay marriage is acceptable they have been indoctrinated by our silence and also by the world promoting and pushing the fact that homosexual um, monogamy is actually acceptable um, by God. The most startling statistic that I have, according to Covenant Eyes, is that only 3% of boys and 17% of girls have never seen pornography. Isn't that shocking? I want to share with you a testimony of a young man. His name is Tim. Tim was um, molested as a child, and eventually that led to a pornography addiction. Uh, Unfortunately, or actually fortunately for him, his mother found out, which, of course, you can imagine was very embarrassing. But what's amazing about Tim's story is it realistically talks about the struggle with pornography, how it becomes pervasive, and then eventually how he found the victory over that. I think what's really beautiful is at the end, the whole family finds healing, and I think that you'll be touched by his story.
1: Nobody wants to live with a secret. It torments your soul. It bothers your conscience. I created this guy that everybody loved, and I went home and did like myself. The effect of holding a secret that long is that you never had the freedom to be you. Ouch. stop looking at pornography. This is not casual. This is... I can't stop. I'm driven to this thing. So I had to keep it a secret. I don't want to deal with these questions. I don't have the answers for this. Started praying for me. It's probably the best prayer. I think my father has ever pray. I didn't hear it. But that prayer came to God. I got up, cleaned myself off, walked down the hallway. Left, I'm gonna to go to my room, I'm never gonna talk about this again, and i make a right. Maybe I have enough strength to go in her room and tell her what the real situation was. Because it wasn't porn. That was... That wasn't the root of the situation. home, we share what happened, and then my mom says that she got sexually abused when she was six, and then my dad says that he got molested when he was five. So in one night, my exposure caused everyone to kind of come clean and confess. Um. their pain. I mean, that night, man, I just can't articulate to you the freedom I felt to be able to tell the truth to somebody and not be judged. It's the most, oh my God, you. And to have the truth come out and be surrounded by nothing but love. My parents, their relationship with Christ uh, is amazing. They have always been authentic and real in how they live out their faith. I mean, I just thank God that they weren't, like, the type of deep religious people that can't handle pain. I, I was just happy that they were that they loved me, that they didn't judge me. We didn't grow up in an atmosphere where we saw any hypocrisy. My parents weren't one way at home and another way at church. They were the same people. And um, they told us the right way. They showed us the right way. And then they just prayed for us. Called, we knew his voice because they taught us well. I would love to tell you that as soon as I accepted Christ into my life, I put porn down and never picked it up again. Uh, but the fact that the Lord would be patient enough with me, knowing that. It didn't take me five minutes to get into it. It probably wasn't going to take five minutes to get out. But if I just started walking with him, he would just start shedding layers of bondage and abuse, molestation low self-esteem, people pleasing and stuff. As we began to walk, stuff would just start falling off of me Uh, and that he would give me relationships. And God really wants to love you. He loves you through people. And uh, he brought people into my life to literally love all that crap out of me. It's been a great walk. 14 years still walking. It's been good. anymore. My name is Tim Ross, and I am second.
0: All right, isn't that a powerful story? And what I find so amazing is that Tim is very transparent about the fact that it took more than five minutes to get into this. It was going to take more than five minutes to get out. As I became an Adventist Christian, I was baptized with a boyfriend and a sexual addiction. No pastor should have ever baptized me. But nobody knew. It was at the end of an evangelistic series. I missed most of it. My sister invited me for the last night and boom, I gave my heart to the Lord. That's just exactly what happened. That night in the parking lot, my sister said, So what are you going to do about your boyfriend? I said, Nothing. I'm gay. But the next morning I was born. I mean, I was baptized with a boyfriend and a sexual addiction. I didn't come up out of that water straight, ready to date, mate, and procreate and that just was not my reality. So as I was walking this out with Jesus Christ, I kept thinking that I did something wrong. I thought that maybe I needed to get baptized again. I thought that maybe I needed to get anointed because these things just weren't leaving for my convenience. Wouldn't it be great if God could just hit you over the head with a magic wand and then boom, all your issues are over. But what he wants more than anything else is he wants an intimate relationship with each one of us. And if he took it away for my convenience, it would be good and gone, but still I would believe that I was the one that overcame it through that struggle, through that perseverance, through the fact that every time that I felt it was Jesus Christ that encouraged me to get back up, that Jesus wasn't abandoning me, I started to see the picture that this was a process, not just an event. All right, and so raise your hand if you've been baptized. All right, so when you got baptized, when you came up out of the water, God didn't erase your history or your memory either, but you were beginning this journey. And so to understand that, when someone comes to me talking about their addiction to pornography, I quite simply tell them that this is going to take some time. Now, some people do experience a miraculous uh, healing from that, and they never struggle again. But you know, some people struggle with it for the rest of their lives. Unfortunately, I can't erase the things that I indulged in for 20 years, and those things are a constant reminder of what I've come from, but yet God does give us the strength to overcome, and he accomplished that at the cross. So if I want victory, I can have victory right now, today, and immediately, but it's that process of learning to depend upon him and to call upon his strength to where you can get that overcoming victory. Child Guidance, page 445, says, those who are controlled by their passions cannot be followers of Christ. They are too much devoted to the service of their master, the originator of every evil, to leave their corrupt habits and to choose the service of Christ. Ouch. As I was reading Spirit of Prophecy, this came with great conviction. And I knew that I was not in a place where I was ready to be able to fully talk about the victory in Jesus Christ as I was still struggling with these secret sins. And so this what this did is this caused me to seek out help I went to Sex Addicts Anonymous for a whole year. I sat there in a group of men for a whole year, six o'clock in the morning, and I had to drive an hour to get there. But there I sat, and every morning I said, Hiya, I'm Mike, I'm a sex addict. Hiya, I'm Mike, I'm a sex addict. And in this group of people, after a year, at least I found somewhere where I could be transparent. I could talk about the issues that I was struggling with, and so could these men, but nobody was finding any victory. In my frustration, I came to the Lord and I said, this isn't working. You know, there's no way that I can go to my pastor or the elders in my church, but I went to this group and I was hoping to find help, but but I couldn't find help there. You said that the Adventist message has everything that we need to give me overcoming victory, and I need it now. The Lord showed me this little ugly red book called Ministry of Healing and from the pages of that book I found profound answers to the questions that I've been dealing with all of my life. It didn't talk about masturbation, it didn't talk about sexual addiction, it didn't talk about the LGBT issue. Instead, what it talked about was a powerful save that had already accomplished everything that I needed to have victory today in this moment. And that how much he loved me and how much he was willing to expend for me in my behalf to find that victory. I have recommended that book to people around the world. And I can tell you that people have found victory through that book as well. We have an amazing resource. We don't have to go outside of our denomination to find victory when it's already here. And through our prophet, she's already provided everything that we need. Now, powerful. Ecclesiastes 12.14 says, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Now I might be able to do a good job at hiding my sin from you, but one day I will have to stand before a holy and righteous God, and he will expose everything. So it's not enough that I just want to look good on the outside. I want that overcoming victory. I want to be able to stand in front of my Savior and say, well, and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And so I know that each of you want that as well. And so whatever you may be struggling with, and according to the statistics, many of us in this room are, but however, I believe that God isn't the type of God that wants to expose you, but rather he wants to give us overcoming victory. Testimonies on Sexual Behavior, Adultery and Divorce, page 84, it, she lays out, Ellen White lays out exactly what are going to be the issues at the end of time. Listen to this. Satan's repetitious plots. Near the close of this earth's history, Satan will work with all his powers in the same manner and with the same temptations wherewith he tempted ancient Israel just before their entering the land of promise. He will lay snares for those who claim to keep the commandments of God and who are almost on the borders of the heavenly Canaan. She goes on, she says, He will use his powers to their utmost in order to entrap souls and to take God's professed people upon their weakest points. Those who have not brought the lower passions into subjection to the higher powers of their being, those who have allowed their minds to flow in a channel of carnal indulgence of the baser passions, Satan is determined to destroy with his temptations, to pollute their souls with licentiousness. Isn't that amazing that the prophet of the Lord, she even knew what was coming and she made it very plain and yet this is the last thing that we hear about in church culture. Nobody's talking about the sexual revolution that began in the 50s that's been taking over not only the world but also in our churches. The rates of divorce are the same rates as they are outside of the church and so these are the issues that we have to address but we have to address it in a safe way that doesn't expose people but also in a redemptive way that connects people to the power of Jesus Christ. Even the power of demons is under the control of our Savior and the working of evil is overruled for good. Desire of Ages, page 340. What I had to start doing is I started to collect these promises from the Word of God and also Spirit of Prophecy. And then as I was tempted or as I, even if I fell, I had to claim the promises and move from my feelings and move into a feeling of faith. And I had to move into the faith and claim the Word of God in behalf of what my struggle was. Philippians 2 verse 5, one of the most powerful tools that I could recommend to anyone. This still works for me today. Very simply, it says, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. So does the mind of Jesus Christ want to be inside my mind? Of course. And so Jesus has already accomplished everything that I need to take these dirty, nasty thoughts. But there's an issue. There's one problem. I have to cooperate with this verse. The only power that you have in this verse at all is the very first word. And it's just let. Very simply, it's let. He's already provided everything that you need to have that victory. However, he cannot force your will. And that's the most difficult part, I think, is the plan of salvation, is the fact that we still get the right to decide. And so when I'm tempted, when those temptations come, I have a decision to make. I have to choose to allow the mind of Christ to come inside. If I choose to allow the mind of Christ to come inside, it's immediate. My victory is sure. It's a hundred percent. However, learning that process of the appetite, the sexual appetite, and then also the allegiance to my Savior is a very difficult pull. It doesn't mean that you'll have a hundred percent victory at first, but if you keep walking that walk, just like it says in Proverbs, the two men, the righteous and the unrighteous, they both fall. The only difference between the righteous man and the unrighteous man is the righteous man gets back up. And let me remind you, you cannot fall unless you're standing. So very simply, the devil, of course, is going to try to knock you down with your history and your memory. But as you're walking this out, eventually what takes, what takes it seems like, a long time to overcome, eventually you'll be able to overcome it as you learn the process of claiming the promises. The devil knows how the mind was designed. The devil knows how our brain was altered. And so in your brain, you have these little synapses that connect. And so let's say that the pathway to pornography comes when you're tired, when you're frustrated, when you're angry, when you're happy, when you're sad. And so what happens is you build these pathways. And the more you use those pathways, you're building five-lane highways to this path to pornography. And so it's a very easy highway. But then all of a sudden you come to Jesus Christ, and now Jesus is your Savior, and He wants you to be victorious. And so your pathway to Jesus is like a bike path in the woods. So how is it that you can take this five-lane highway that becomes the master of your life into making that your master of your life to your Savior? It takes time. But eventually, the more you choose to go on that pathway to Jesus Christ, that starts to widen. It starts to build and it starts to become broader. And the less you use that five-lane highway, all of a sudden grass starts to grow up through that highway and it starts to break up. And eventually, your pathway to Jesus becomes stronger. That's the way your brain was designed to do. And so be committed to the pathway. freedom. Be committed that even if you fall today, that's not a failure. It just means that you're on that pathway. Keep getting up. Because remember the unrighteous man, he just falls into mischief. He doesn't even fight anymore. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I have a lot of issues with Adventists on this verse. They really aren't sure about the promises that are in this. The only thing that God ever asked you to do is he said, just confess your sins. Did he ask you to forgive yourself? No. Did he ask you to cleanse yourself? No. Thank you, Lord. But he said this. He said, if you'll confess your sins, he says, I got the rest covered. He said, if you'll just do your part, because why? I need to acknowledge the fact that these sins are what not only separate me from God, but also destroy my ability to relate to God in an intimate way, but also to other people but if I don't do my part, he can't do his. Has Jesus already provided the victory for us? Of course he did. 2,000 years ago when he died on that cross, he satisfied every sin that could ever be committed. And while that's not a license to sin, what it says is that Christ created a safety net so that we could all find that victory if we find ourselves in a fallen state. But he says, if you'll do your part, did he say that you were faithful in this statement? The answer is no. No, he didn't. He said, but he is. He says, I am faithful and just not only to forgive you, but to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So if I do my part, right? If I confess to God how I fell into my sin, am I clean? If I did my part. He's faithful and just not only to forgive me, but then he cleanses me from how much unrighteousness? All of it. All right. So now I'm clean, but that doesn't change the fact that five minutes later a dirty, nasty thought might come into my head, and here I am already at the precipice again. I have another decision to make. Am I going to allow Jesus to take these thoughts and to claim the mind of Christ, or am I going to indulge in these thoughts? And thus it goes again. Is there a statute of limitations on this verse? No. No. And that's a really difficult part for a lot of Adventists. No. It was provided for you because Jesus knows that we live in this dirty and defiled world, and He knows that each one of us are going to have to deal with the history and the memory, the billboards that are on the side of the road, the things that you're looking at on the computer or television, and he knows that this is going to need to be in place so that if you find yourself in a fallen situation, that you can always find your way out, if we'll just do our part. And our part is to what? Confess your sins. Admitting and submitting. I stole this from a man named Cy Rogers. Cy Rogers was very powerful. Admitting and submitting. And you know what? When you exercise with with, with weights, I may not be able to curl five pounds when I start off. But if I keep at it, then eventually maybe I can get to a seven pounder, up to a 10, maybe a 12, then eventually I'll be curling a 25. But it takes time to get there, and you get there by exercising this. Admitting and submitting is a biblical principle. The first thing that happens is, um, Scott Ritzema has a very powerful series called A Greater Lust. It's very good. It talks about what happens in the brain scientifically, but also spiritually from an Adventist perspective. But what happens is whenever you're in a situation where a temptation comes in, you have two parts of the brain. You have a temporary file, and then you got a permanent file. And a temporary file is kind of like a trash can. So what happens is when you look at a billboard and you see somebody that's not wearing enough clothing, that thought goes right into the temporary file. So now if you dwell on that thought, if you start thinking about it or fantasizing about it, boom, it goes right into your permanent file. And that's when a temptation turns into a sin. And that's a very rudimentary, That's a very simple, basic way of talking about when a temptation turns into sin. But what happens is if that goes into the temporary file and you dismiss it, or you claim the power of Christ, or you admit it and then submit it to God, what happens is at the end of the day, it gets dumped. They take the trash out and it doesn't become a part of your permanent file. Does that make sense? And so what we want to do is we want to make sure that when a temptation comes, that we put it or keep it in the right basket so that it's not being put into our permanent basket. But if it gets put into the permanent basket, That's when we have to go through the process, once again, of 1 John 1, 9. Let me give you an illustration. So when a dirty thought comes in, it's what I do with it that's going to make the difference. Is temptation the same as sin? that was really weak, but I'm going to give you that. No, of course it's not. A temptation is not sin. Jesus was tempted like in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. And so that means that we're going to be tempted probably until the last day that we're alive or until Jesus comes, but that doesn't mean that you have sinned or that that's your identity. I still struggle with same-sex attraction. It doesn't stop it from coming. The devil still uses the history and the memory, but now I know what to do when those thoughts come. I can take them. I can take these thoughts and I I can either stick it in my pocket and indulge it later or I can take that dirty thought and I can submit it to my higher power. Jesus accomplished on the cross to give me instantaneous victory if I do my part. So when that thought comes, it's what I'm going to do with it that's going to make the difference. Admitting that I'm being tempted is the first part. Jeremiah 17.9 says that the mind is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Well, guess what? That's me. You know, we're all that way. So we're naturally wanting to do those things that the natural sinful mind likes to do. And so the first thing is that I've got to admit that I'm even being tempted. And if I admit that I'm being tempted, I'm halfway there. But I have to take this temptation and I have to submit it to my higher covering. What it is, is 100% Jesus has the right to take that temptation from you if you submit it. So admitting and submitting. Admitting and submitting to God. Learning this process throughout the day. I don't have the luxury of having my devotion once in the morning and thinking that I'm good to go. I have to admit and submit throughout the day by the things that I see. And so admitting and submitting. And as you do this, that muscle gets stronger. And eventually, what used to be a tsunami that would just take you over, all all of a sudden becomes like a fly that you can swat away way, learning that process of of admitting and submitting. And if you fall, get back up. Ministry of Healing, page 71. And I had to find a compassionate picture of God. The relationship that I had with my father is I thought that God must be like my dad, arbitrary, judgmental, that you have to be perfect for him to love you. But then I started to glean these beautiful, precious promises, talking about God's compassion for me. Here's one of the the, uh, promises that I keep. It says, He is watching over you, trembling child of God. Are you tempted? he will deliver. Are you weak? He will strengthen. Are you ignorant? He will enlighten. Are you wounded? He will heal. That in itself is a precious promise to not only reconnect you to the intimacy of God, but when you're experiencing the intimacy of your Savior, then guess what? These temptations just are like Teflon on you. They just fall away. Ministry of Healing, page 71, it goes on. It says, Come unto me is his invitation. Whatever your anxieties and trials, spread out your case before the Lord. I like this part. Your spirit will be braced for endurance. The way will be open for you to disentangle yourself from embarrassment and difficulty. The weaker and more helpless you know yourself to be, the stronger will you become in his strength. Did you catch that? It's not your strength. It's his strength. The heavier your burdens, the more blessed the rest. In casting them upon the burden bearer, God's not asking you to do this on your own. He's not asking you to overcome this by yourself. He says, "Let me be a part of that. Let me give you divine strength to overcome these victory or these uh, these sins that have overtaken you." So this is a testimony about a young man named Keegan. Keegan was um, a kid; he was about nine years old. It was a fifth-grade birthday party, and there were some uh, there were some older teenagers there, and they found some pornography magazines. Because it was a guy's birthday party, there weren't any girls, so they held Keegan down and they molested him. They raped him, and so Keegan's now struggling with these thoughts inside of his head about bisexuality, and he's starting to experiment in it. He doesn't know how to deal with the emotions and the feelings that happen because that's what sexual sin does. To mind that hasn't been fully developed. Did you know that a child that is exposed to pornography, it's kind of like watching a train wreck. It's disgusting and disturbing to you, but you can't take your eyes off of it. They've done studies and they've shown that a mind that is fully developed, about the age of 27, 28, that their first exposure to pornography to them is disgusting. And so, again, this is what happens. So when you take a little child and you expose them to sexual sin or to sexuality, what it does is this little child's brain isn't mature enough to handle what has just happened. And it creates not only all kinds of attractions, but also it it creates disgust and, and, and issues that they're just not even able to handle. Did you know that even in a violent rape, there's an element of pleasure? And that's very confusing for the victim. Many children that grow up to be adults think that they are responsible and guilty for the molestation that happened to them as children because of that element of pleasure. So I want to play for you um, something that, that Keegan talks about, talking about Lady Gaga, Shut Up, that I was not born this way. Take a listen.
2: When I was a little boy, my mom ended up leaving our home and I was left with my father and I was a really confused child wondering why did mom leave? Why was mom and dad fighting? Why was I getting hit in the head with blow dryers? Why was the screaming going on? And I remember sitting in the court office with a social worker or the judge, I don't know who it was, and they asked, who would you like to live with? And I said, I would like to live with Mommy and Daddy and Uncle Johnny and Nana and Mama and Papa because I didn't know what was going on. I remember in fourth grade, I went to a birthday party. And at this birthday party, I was raped by several men. I walked upstairs to the room where we're playing video games. And, you know, you think of birthday parties, birthday cake and balloons and superheroes and whatever there is at a boy's birthday party in fourth grade. Uh, But it was nighttime, and they had found a pornographic magazine, and it had opened the door for the enemy to come in and have his way. And not many of us knew Jesus, and uh, we didn't know what was going on. We were just curious little kids, and we were looking at this magazine, and there was older guys that were there at the party and my age, my peers. And before I knew it, I was sat up on the bed held down and i was taken advantage of by several men the older guys were teaching my peers what to do and i was crying and screaming and uh, there was people in the other room and somehow subconsciously i knew what they were doing in the other room and after this thing happened to me i remember going outside and sitting on the tan vinyl siding of the house looking into the sky crying physically hurt emotionally hurt confused why did this happen I mean I'm a 4th grader I'm learning multiplication I'm getting held back from school because I can't read and I'm doing tutor after school I'm learning how to play soccer and basketball and um, just trying to be you know the cool kid at recess but I'm set on a journey of having to figure out my sexual identity
0: some of the thoughts what I think is really amazing about Keegan's story is it caused it started all of this confusion in his head. Not only did he start acting out in school, his grades started to uh, plummet. He started acting out sexually. He started doing drugs to deal with some of the things that were happening inside of his head. Now I hear stories about people from all around the world, no matter where I go, talking about how they've been molested or how they've been abused. And a lot of times, just like Keegan and also Tim, that these things are set in motion because of behaviors that happened when you were a child. My colleague, Ron Woolsey, who's a retired pastor now, he was molested at four years old by a farmhand that worked on his father's farm. Did you know that he couldn't even say that he was molested until just a few years ago? And as he was telling his story, he said that he lost his innocence at four years old. And finally, I confronted him. I said, what are you saying? Nobody even knows what that means. And he said, well, I participated. I go, what are you talking about? And here's Ron, who's in his 60s, and he's been carrying the guilt of what happened to that little child at four years old. And I said to my friend, uh, Ron, I said, Ron, you were molested. I said, even if you were interested or curious, or even if it felt good, the fact remains that he was an adult man that molested a four-year-old child. And how sad that for all of his life he was carrying that guilt, but that was also funneling not only same-sex attraction, but all these sexual thoughts that were going on in his mind since he was four years old. I was never molested as a child I can't even relate to that but what we get our sexual identity and where we get all of this information that's being bombarded on your children and in our schools and in the world actually comes from a man named Alfred Kinsey Alfred Kinsey was a homosexual pedophile masochist he was actually he died from uh, wounds from his own sexual behaviors but this was the man that the United States government supported financially and he actually paid men to molest their daughters and what he did is he he gave them stopwatches, and they recorded what they said was, uh, was orgasms by children. There was a six-month-old child that was uh, molested orally and digitally, and Alfred Kinsey, according to his research, said that this child had 22 orgasms in a 24-hour period of time. That's nothing less than child abuse. He said that vomiting, screaming, and passing out were symptoms of an orgasm. This is the man where we actually get our sexual education from today. This is what's being promoted. Did you know that gay Christian was never even a term, never even thought of, because there were only two identities in the Bible until just about 50 years ago. The only two identities that were in the Bible was your identity was either in Christ or in self. And so now what's happened is that because of the research of what this, this person did, and we bought into it around the world, is now we're promoting and we're telling children as early as four and five years old that they can not only determine their sex, but they can also determine if they're homosexual, and they should be allowed to practice that and to pursue a sexual relationship because that is exactly what children are all based on this man's um, uh, research. Is that shocking to you? But this is what's happening in our world, and it's not going to change. But we as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, I think that we have not only a moral obligation to set it straight about what identity really is, but also, as we are also exhibiting that victory over sexual sin, it shines as a beacon of light to the world. Because if we're not able to find that victory inside the church, then what do you think that we're going to offer to people on the outside? All right? All right, these these aren't queued up. And so what I want to share with you also is something really powerful that Keegan said, but the tape is 30 minutes long and we don't have that much time. So basically what Keegan was saying was that when these thoughts come into his head, it's what he does with it that's going to make a difference. And so what he would usually say is you say, Lord, help me. And just in that simple cry for help, what it does is you're enlisting angels, you're enlisting the power of God to help you with these thoughts. And so, yes, if you don't ask for the help, it won't come. But if you do, it's 100%. He was talking about how changing your thought, casting down imaginations, using the Word of God, because as God spoke the Word, the world existed, came into existence, so the very Word of God has power in itself. Use scripture verses to help you overcome in the battle with the sexual sin. As I was um, asking my church for a men's ministry, the best that my church could give me in Tennessee is basically one man that was an elder on the board, and the, and the pastor uh, told me to pitch my idea to the board, is the elder looked at me, and I suggested that we could go to um, a local camp where we could actually have uh, a men's weekend for Father's Day weekend. There was a speaker that would come, and so one of the elders looked at me, and he said, I don't want to be running around in the woods like a bunch of gay men, and that was the best that my church could give me. And as I drove home that night, I said to God, I hate your church and I hate your people. And I was asking for this men's ministry because I needed to learn how to interact with men on a non-sexual basis for the healing that I desired. But you know what? God gave me that, that men's ministry. And there were two men that were in my church and privately they came to me. They invited me to come to lunch. And as I went to lunch, unfortunately, they were struggling with the same issues of um, pornography. And they never struggled with same-sex attraction. But they said, I heard that you found victory, and I'm desperate for it. One man had a brand new baby. His wife caught him with pornography. She kicked him out. She wanted a divorce. The other man had been an elder in the church for 35 years. They had two uh, children that were grown, and and his wife said, ah, I still love him. I know he struggles with it. It doesn't matter to me. But he was convicted that he knew that if he didn't get victory over the pornography, that it was going to cost him his salvation. These two men on Tuesday nights at six o'clock in my living room, we would turn that page of that book, Ministry of Healing, and these men found victory in my living room as well. What was amazing is that God was also bringing me this uh, this men's ministry that was not only healing for myself, but also reaffirming the, the fact that Ministry of Healing is a fantastic book to find victory over sexual sin. Dogs in the garage. So one day, one of my friends, he came, and he had experienced the victory over his pornography. It was um, a cooler evening, but it was Friday night, and he told his daughters, he said, listen, don't put the dogs in the garage. He said, they'll be fine. And, and so the next morning, he gets up. He's dressed for church. He opens up the garage door, and he finds out that his daughter did put the dogs in the garage at night. Well, the dogs must have eaten something. He lived out in the country, and so the dogs vomited and had diarrhea all over his garage. Can you imagine what that looked like and smelled? But he thought, you know what? I'm ready for church. I'm just going to go to church. I'll deal with this later. So he gets in his car. He drives away. Then he comes back. He changes his clothes, and he goes out in the garage. And can you imagine what that mess was like after it set on cement for several hours? So here he is on the Holy Sabbath of the Lord, you know, and there he is scooping up all of this vile mess that's been sitting on the cement in between boxes, And as he's scooping that up, this thought comes into his head. He said, you know what? This really isn't my fault. This is my daughter's fault. I told her not to let the dogs in. But he said, you know what? I really don't mind cleaning up after her. And just then he heard the Holy Spirit speak to him and he said, Tom, you know, I don't mind cleaning up after you either. And that was a revelation not only for Tom, but also for me as I started to realize that I could never clean up my own mess. That Jesus is the only one that can clean up our mess. Raise your hand if you have children. Raise your hand if you ever changed a diaper. All right. So if you changed a diaper, did you ever? Could you ever imagine if a child tried to change their own diaper? Imagine that, right? The mess that that would make. And so, in essence, we're the same way. I know. got an image over there. This lady with her eyes, you got to watch her. So anyway, what happens when a child tries to clean up their own diaper, they only make the mess worse. It only gets more confounded and it creates a bigger mess. But if we submit our need to our Heavenly Father, and if a parent loves their child so much that they're willing to endure the smell and the mess and to clean us up and to send us on our way, then how much more compassionate is our Heavenly Father? That if we'll come to Him dirty and defiled as we are, that His desire and His delight, and He also knows the only way that you can truly find cleansing is if you submit yourself to God and say, Lord, I'm a mess again. Can you help me? And so if you start to change the image of how you see the Heavenly Father in your mind, instead of running from God, you start to realize that you should run to God instead. That was a big lesson for me. Volume 4 of the Testimonies, page 349, says, The victory can be gained, for nothing is impossible with God. By his assisting grace, all evil temper, all human depravity may be overcome. Every Christian must learn of Christ. Cry unto the Lord, tempted soul, throw yourself helpless and unworthy upon Jesus and claim his very promise. The Lord will hear. Isn't that beautiful? He knows how strong are the inclinations of the natural heart, and he will help in every time of temptation. This is from Messages to Young People, page 67. Hebrews 1.9. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. I have to learn in this process, I have to learn to hate sin and love righteousness. And can I do that on my own? Absolutely not. The natural mind, because of 6,000 years of degenerated generations of sinful behaviors, of course, I love sin. We all love sin. And so how is it that we can learn to love the righteousness that Christ offers and hate the sin that becomes uh, the dominant part of our lives? We have to pray about that. We have to claim the promises. And one of the prayers that I pray is that, Lord, help me to love what you love. Help me to hate what you hate. And somebody gave me a very practical lesson on this. My mother quit smoking after smoking for 50 plus years. And you know what is a really great victory for my mom? I know she really struggled. But I remember asking my mom after she quit smoking for 10 years, I said, "Mom," I said, "Aren't you glad that you quit smoking?" And she said, "I think about cigarettes every single day of my life." And she says, every morning that I get up, I think about those cigarettes because my cigarettes were my best friend. I said, what? She goes, yep. My cigarettes were there in the good times and the bad. You know, when your father left me, when the other men left me, my cigarettes were always there. When I was out at the bars having a good time, my cigarettes were with me. They were the first thing that I used in the morning and the last thing before I went to bed. And I looked at my mom and I'm thinking to myself, your cigarettes were your best friend? And I said, but mom, your cigarettes were killing you your best friend was killing you. And just then Jesus spoke to me and he said, Mike, your best friend is killing you. And I started to see the connection that this thing that had become master of my life, this comfort thing that I ran to from the age of 13, this was also going to take my life. And yet it was my best friend. How can I let go of this thing that had become such a good friend of me, even though I knew that it was going to take my salvation? And so I sought the counsel of someone, and they started to share with me this amazing story. I went to somebody privately, somebody that I thought I could trust, and I said, listen, I'm still struggling with pornography and masturbation. And he said, Mike, he says, if you want victory over your sin, you have to imagine it this way. He says, stop and think about your, your, your pornography is like this beast. And, and, and every time that you indulge in masturbation, you're feeding your, this beast. And your beast is fat and happy, but it's chained to your leg. And you d- take it with you wherever you go. He said, but now you found Jesus. And now that you've got Jesus in your heart, you know that this thing is, is bad for you and that it's going to take your salvation. And he said, all right, so maybe you don't indulge it as often, maybe once a day, maybe once a week, maybe once every couple of months, maybe once a year. He said, but the fact that you still are feeding this by your behavior, your beast is still alive. Even though it's skinny, even though it's starving, even though it's barely hanging on, the fact that it's alive, it will still take your salvation. He said, until you determine that this has to go, you have to slit the throat, you have to stab it in the heart and stomp its head. Otherwise, you will never have victory over this thing in your life. That was great counsel for me because at that point, I had to start changing this into thinking that I could reward myself with my bad behavior if I'd been a good boy for a couple of months. Instead, I had to determine that this thing had to go. It had to leave. And then when I started to have that mental attitude towards my best friend, It was very difficult, but then the transition started to take hold. Um, Let me go back. It says, hatred of sin is vital to full salvation. Humanly speaking, no man is safe until he has learned to hate sin as deeply as he formerly loved it. He may resist sin. He may even flee from it. But as long as there is a lingering love of sin in the heart, he is not on safe ground goes on and she says, as love of good is vital, so also is hatred of evil. It may truly be said that our capacity for love of the good is measured and balanced by our capacity for the hatred of evil. I want to bring this to a close and basically I was talking to a friend of mine uh, who had also gone through a weekend seminar to find uh, sexual purity. He was married, he had a family, and, and he had found victory through Ministry of Healing, but he wanted, to, he wanted to solidify his direction of where he was going. So he went to this men's weekend. It was done by a Christian church, and so they had meetings from Wednesday through Sunday. And what he heard is he heard incredible testimonies. There were 30 men there, and each man had his own counselor. And each man had his own counselor, and some of these men were addicted to pornography, some were addicted to prostitution, some were, were extreme addicts and yet here was the 30 men, and they heard all of these testimonies, these beautiful presentations by pastors and therapists, and then on Sunday, their graduation, what they did is they led all 30 men into the basement of this huge church, and what they had is they had all of the chairs lined up in a maze, and in this maze, what they did is they blindfolded these men, and they led them into the maze, all 30 of them, and what they did is they said, listen, you've got 40 minutes to find your way out. Go. And so as these As these uh, 30 men are in this maze, they've got 40 minutes to find their way out. But what they did is as they led them in there, they closed off the maze. There's no way out. Does that seem fair? Of course not. How can you put 30 men in a maze blindfolded and tell them to find their way out, but you close off the only opening? Because that's what sin does. We walk into sin on our own. We willfully walk into it. And then the devil traps us with addictions. There's no way out. And so these men had spent the whole weekend learning different ways, practicality or practical tools about overcoming their their temptations and sin. And here's 30 men bouncing around trying to find their way out of a maze that's actually closed in. And all of a sudden, after about 15 minutes, my friend is in the middle of this maze and one guy got out. And so another another 10 minutes goes by and a second man gets out. So now there's still 28 men that are trapped inside this maze, blindfolded. They're bumping into each other. Some of them are starting to break down. They're getting frustrated. And my friend raises his hand. And his therapist comes over. And he says, what's your question? And he says, is there a way out? And he said, that's the wrong question. And he stepped away. So another 10 minutes goes by. Nobody's out. These men are starting to cry. They're so frustrated. They want to get out, and they know that the time is ticking. And just then, my friend raises his hand, and his therapist comes up to him, and he says what's your question? And he says this, he says, will you help me out? And he said, that's the right question. And he leads them to freedom. Even these men, these grown men that spent the whole weekend learning that you have to rely on the power of Jesus Christ to overcome. You want victory in your life. It's never going to come by your own good efforts. It has to come from the power of God. And the only way that you can find yourself out of this maze that you walked into, that you walked into on your own and the devil trapped you, is you're going to need the help of your Savior who's already won the victory for you and learning that process of admitting and submitting and recognizing that through His power you can find the victory and claiming the promises. That's how you can walk all the way into heaven with that victory. I hope that these um, that these illustrations have helped you. Uh, and again, we have some resources. And I believe that if you're an elder in your church or a pastor, if you if you have any access to the men in your in your churches, these are powerful tools to use. Because I believe that if you can clean up the guys, then imagine you have mothers and wives that are getting 100% of their husbands, and then you have children that are getting 100% of their parents. Can we stand and pray as we close? Let's pray. I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to talk about the victory, Lord, that is guaranteed through our Savior. I thank you, Lord, because of what you accomplished on that cross, Lord, that each one of us can have access to that freedom and that victory in our lives. I pray, Father, that um, you will enlighten us and illuminate us, and that your Holy Spirit, Lord, will go with us and remind us of these precious promises and tools for overcoming victory. Lord, I pray that every person that is standing here, Lord, with me, that they will also recognize, Lord, that all power and authority is given to you because of what you have accomplished for us. May we all be in that kingdom together is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse dot org